morning, New Hope Community Church. I will say this is the most people that we've had in this room in well over a year. Uh, just, I am so moved and touched. Um, again, I just want to take uh, just a second to um, thank God and thank um, everyone who's, uh, who's helped us get through this past year, specifically uh, Dan Holosky here, who is just an incredible... <laughs> in helping with our, our live stream, and of course, everybody visiting or everybody joining us online. Good morning. Good morning to those who are here. Resurrection. Say the word resurrection. resurrection. Say it uh, to the person sitting next to you. Say resurrection. resurrection. Say it loud enough that the people over there say resurrection. resurrection. There you go. Resurrection. Good morning. So we are uh, continuing today. We are concluding today. We are, I don't know, whatever. It's Easter Sunday, so it's kind of like a one-off, but Whatever. Um, we, are, we are doing this series, Rebellion. We've been doing this series, Rebellion, uh, all throughout Lent. And the idea that the, behind this series is that um, what we learned from the early chapters of the Bible uh, is that God created this dynamic world. He created a world uh, and gave them the responsibility, gave them the mission of life, to continue the mission of life but unfortunately, what we see in those early chapters of the Bible, specifically Genesis 3 through 11, is that humanity rebelled. They rebelled against God's way and they chose their own way. And it wasn't long before, some, at first it was like little rules, like, you know, don't eat this apple or don't eat this fruit from this tree. And then before long, the next generation, it was, it was violence. It was brother against brother, and, and, and murder happened. Oh, and then before long, you know, that, 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 that wickedness was widespread, and we get this story of Noah and the ark where God wipes away 90-some percent of the world's population and leaves this one family to try to um, be responsible for um, being fruitful and multiply the world. He, he, God gives Noah, but he, Noah comes off the ark, and God gives him this, this mission. He gives him this mission of life. He tells him, be fruitful and multiply. That is our mission. That mission that he gave to Noah actually is still our mission. Turn to your neighbor and say, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, now that, that was not, no. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> All right, so what the, 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 the series has been about is this rebellion, um, but then uh, also this mission and how we can, can reclaim that in Christ. Uh, and today, um, specifically, more than any other event in history, today's um, event that we're going to talk about is all about the mission of life. So would you turn with me to, to Matthew 28? Matthew 28, you can pick it up on your, on your phones, or there are Bibles in the back, but um, whatever. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And for an, uh, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come. 
See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them there and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. What, what do we do to the resurrection with the resurrection? How do we respond to the resurrection? We fall down on our knees and worship. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and, and there uh, they will see me. So, a few things uh, to make sure that we catch there. Number one, the first sentence, it sets the stage in a monumentally important way. It was after Sabbath, and it was dawn on the first day of the week. You might remember all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. We see God create the world in six days and the rest, uh, and then rest on the, se- on the seventh day called the Sabbath. We could talk about the, de- the degree to which uh, this is history a- another time. What's, what's important today is that this creation story is the creation story that was given to the Hebrews. It was deep in their identity that this God was the one in whom they lived and moved and had their being. The Hebrews were God's chosen people who were God's rescue mission to save the world. That's the story of the Old Testament. God works through the people of Israel to set the stage for God to do a mighty thing through them, a thing so amazing that the whole world, whole earth is going to be blessed through Israel. The story of the New Testament tells of how Jesus was how God got that job done. So what we see here in this first sentence of of Matthew 28 is the writer using creation language to show us that, that what is actually happening here on the day after the Sabbath is the first day of a new creation. The first day of the week is the first day of a new creation. The story of Easter is the story of how God is recreating the world in Jesus. If you were to read the Old Testament cover to cover, you'd notice a bunch of different themes. Specifically, you'd notice how God continues to call leaders and deliverers and warriors and priests and kings and poets and prophets all to kind of sort of move the story forward. But none of them were completely what Israel needed. All of them are left wanting in in some way. Sometimes it's just because they die and their successors are, you know, not as good as the original person. But most of the time, it's because these individuals were left wanting because of some egregious sin. Take David, for instance, the king who was said to be a, a man after God's own heart. David was a, a decent king, a great king who also did some pretty awful stuff. So we see what we see in the Old Testament. We see figures like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, etc., etc. God works through all of them. But in each instance, there's something that, that is still left wanting. What we see in the New Testament is how Jesus is like all of these guys wrapped into one. And this time, Jesus gets the job done. As the Apostle Paul says, uh, Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a Roman cross. 
which was a humiliating, torturous way to die. Why did he do it? Why was Jesus dying on the cross considered obedient? What what was he being obedient to? He was being obedient to God's mission of life. Noah got off the ark and God told him to be fruitful and multiply. God's plan for humanity was to dwell in harmony with him, but, but something got in the way of that. Sin. See, another one of those themes that you'd see if you, if you read through the Old Testament is that God is holy. And that holiness, God's holiness, is uncompromising. And believe me, you wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, you could either read up on like Greco-Roman mythology or you could just watch the Avengers and you'll see lots of stories of gods who weren't holy and chaos that ensued because of their mistakes and, and their meddling. But the God of the Old Testament, this God is the one true God, Yahweh, the great I Am, the one who is self-existent, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. This God is faithful. It's when the people stop following him that things go wrong. So the story of the New Testament is the story of this God, the God of Israel, putting on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, dwelling with his people, teaching them the ways of the kingdom of God, living a sinless life, and then going to the cross to die in victory, to defeat sin and death and evil by using the most powerful thing in the universe, sacrificial love. So what was Jesus being obedient to? He was being obedient to holy love, capital L. Jesus was the embodiment of love. Not just any love, God's holy, perfect love. And you want to know what true love looks like, friends? Look at the cross. Jesus was a Hebrew, but this sacrifice, it wasn't just for the Hebrews, it was for the entire human race, because God loves all he created, and he desires that all would come to him and return to that harmony, return to shalom, be forgiven of their sins, and be reconciled to God. Jesus invited his followers into a whole new way of being human, one that didn't have a human selfishness at the center of life, but rather invited God to be at the center of their life. Only God is worthy of being at the center of our heart. So the New Testament, it beckons us to accept God's free gift of grace for the forgiveness of sins and then begin a new life by following King Jesus out of the tomb. You see, at the cross, he died for our sins, just as we died to selfish desires. But, but in the resurrection, we see the first fruits of how death is defeated, and we are now invited to follow Jesus out of the tomb and participate with him in the resurrection work of new creation. That is why Easter matters. As Paul says in Galatians, for as many of you as were baptized in Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. You're you're God's family, heirs according to promise. For some reason, there's there's a lie out there that says that Christianity is for holy people, 
good people, righteous people. And it's just not true. Christianity is for sinners. And there is not a person listening to my voice right now who doesn't have sin in their past, present, and future. The difference, once you kneel at the cross and surrender your will and say to God, Thy will be done. And then you follow Jesus out of the tomb into new creation. You are no longer defined by your sin. You are now defined by the victory of Christ. You are now defined by the saving love of God in Jesus Christ. You are heirs. You are part of God's family. Heirs according to the promise. I mean, is there something in your past that you wish wasn't there? Is there something in the past that, you're a, that, that when you think about it, it makes you kind of cringe? Is there something in the past that, that you're ashamed of? In Christ, you're not defined by that. In Christ, you're not defined by whatever happened back then and back there. You are defined by His future. You're not a sinner. You're a child of God. Sin will continue to be a problem for us all, but it, it's different. Because once we have Christ, the the Bible talks about about sin as as bondage. It's It's a prison. But Jesus has unlocked the doors and flung them open. The problem is that what we do is that we we just keep fighting to get back into that cage from which he's from which he's already set us free. And the the message that Jesus has for us today is you don't have to live like that anymore. You know that, right? You, You don't have to live like that anymore. You could follow me out of the tomb and you could start a new life, a new creation life, a life of resurrection. It's not a magic trick, by the way. I mean, we still need one another to stay on the the right path. That, That is why the church exists, right? That's why gathering matters is because as a church we gather together and we we encourage one another we support one another we pray for one another we walk this life of jesus uh, alongside one another this life of the kingdom we disciple one another in christ paul meant it when he said that in christ we are all abraham's offspring we are all a family and jesus himself told us that the way the world will know that we belong to him, the way the world will know that we are resurrection people, the way the world will know that we are Sunday people is the love that we have towards one another. So moving on, back to Matthew 28, verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and, and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So, we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this because I, I want to talk more about the next part, but the, the basic idea is this. The early church evidently believed that all of this actually happened. I mean, a lot of what I've said so far you might put into the category of theology or faith or even religion, but it, it's exceptionally important to remember that the early church actually believed 
that Jesus had predicted his own death, put to death, been put to death on a cross, and then raised, and then been raised on the third day. The writers of the gospel, which we know as, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the apostles Peter, Paul, even Jesus' uh, Jesus's brother, James, all of them lived lives and likely died martyrdom deaths, believing that Jesus actually had been resurrected. I mean, <clears throat> I get it. A lot of horrible things have been done in the name of religion, specifically in the name of Jesus. A lot of amazing things have been done in Jesus' name as well, but those things don't get as much space in the history books. But still, if you're hesitant because you're not a fan of organized religion, I, I, I get it. If this was all about organized religion, I, I think I'd be out too. Organized religion, it's, it's just not worth it. The Apostle Paul even said that himself. If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. What are you here for if Christ is not raised? That's in the Bible. But here's the thing. Christianity spread like wildfire through the Roman Empire. You know that from high school history. The reason it spread wasn't because Christianity was a swell new religion. Swell new religions could get you killed in those days, especially if you refuse to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. Remember, if, if Jesus is Lord, then, then that means Caesar isn't. And it wasn't just the Romans. As Matthew tells us, the chief priests were willing to pay off the guards in order to keep this quiet. No, Christianity could get you killed. It was troublesome, and it did for many of them. But, but why they believed is because they actually believed in the resurrection. They actually believed that the resurrection actually happened. Christianity wasn't built on a religion. Christianity was built on an event, this event, this event that that they believed occurred in real time and space. Matthew continues in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Again, because what do we do with the resurrection? What do we do in response to the resurrection? We worship. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to, him, said to them, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay. So now we see a bit more of what we do in response to Jesus' resurrection. First of all, we worship. But what we have here in this section is what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. If you hang around New Hope long enough, um, we, we talk about this all the time. Uh, like the women earlier in the chapter, when the disciples saw Jesus, they, they fell down, they worshipped Him. Evidently, the resurrection is cause for worship. But it's also comforting, I think, that, that some kind of, they still couldn't believe their eyes. I mean, Jesus was standing in front of them, but, but some doubted. And, you know, I think I might have been one of those guys. What is this? Who, who, who is this guy? Kind of looks like Jesus? Maybe not. Nothing in Matthew's story has given us any indication that these guys were ready to take over the mission. A little later, Jesus ascends into heaven, and the group is so amazed that they just kind of stare there 
and look up into the sky until somebody's like, wake up. One of the guys that, had asked, that followed Jesus for years, Peter, uh, or I'm sorry, one of the guys that followed Jesus for years, Judas, had ended up betraying him. And after Jesus was arrested, Peter, this guy who was supposedly going to be like the new leader from here on out, had actually denied that he'd even known Jesus when a teenage girl told him that he looked kind of familiar. These guys were hardly the A-team. But it's comforting to see Jesus give them this commission because of that line in verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given, not to those books that you guys are going to go off to read, right? Not not to you guys, not to the church, not, not all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the responsibility of the church. To to be, to cultivate a culture, to cultivate an environment, to cultivate like a, that's gardening language, right? Springtime. To cultivate a garden of discipleship. They weren't going by their own authority. They were going by his, the authority of the resurrected Christ who would be with them for all time. So Christians have a responsibility. Um, Here's the truth. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And it's certainly not a solo sport. Our responsibility is to live a life worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. Now, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I could never live up to that. And that's a good thing. It means you're humble. But, but take a look at, at one last passage from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. This is kind of the, the second half of, uh, of our Good Friday sermon. If you had a chance to, to hear that. From now on, therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And when, when, when Paul says us, he's also talking to us. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, not just me, we are ambassadors for Christ. Get this, this is one of the most hard, most difficult passages in the Bible, I think. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made sin He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, yes, we are called to live a life worthy of the gospel. We're called to seek first the kingdom of God. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to to a whole new way of being human, a way defined by sacrificial love and new creation and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. 
That's a high bar for sure. But, but here's the good news. We do none of it by our own strength and by our own merit. The fundamental principle of the gospel is that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. <clears throat> but still, God gives his love away with reckless abandon. What do we do with that? We try our best, and we trust God for the rest. We trust the process of reconciliation that is guided by His righteousness, not ours. God's not counting your trespasses against you. He's not standing over you and waving His finger. No, He's inviting you into a new way of being human. In Christ, you're made new. Live like it. Finally, none of this is supposed to be done alone. All of this is supposed to be done together, gathered as a family. We are called in Christ to be the family of God, supporting one another, praying for each other, encouraging one another, building one another up, building our kids up, building the next generation up. The ministry of reconciliation that we're called to is a ministry to each other and for the sake of the world. The way that we do that is by reminding each other of all the truths as often as we can. The truth of God's story, the truth of God's grace, the truth of God's sacrifice, the truth of the new life that we have in God. 